we jump forward in the Gospel of John to uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem um, days before his crucifixion in what we call Palm Sunday because of the presence of palms there. Um, shown in shadow form in many ways that Jim has just read for us um, with all the meaning there um, that's put forward to us and now that that comes to fruition or reality um, in Jesus. Boy, I'm losing all my stuff here. There we go. John chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 12. Uh, this is God's word, eternally true. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's uh, printed for you up here and in your bulletin. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Uh, there were a lot of expectations in Jesus' day. We've talked about that in the last uh, three weeks as we looked at the, the Gospel of John. A lot of expectations that Jewish people had uh, when Jesus came on the scene. And one of the things was they had a, a prophet like John the Baptist. They had many priests. These were anointed people, but they didn't have an anointed king. Uh, we confess that as part of our faith and our confessing our faith uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism number 31 there. Why is Jesus called the Christ or the anointed one? And what the Jewish people were looking for was this anointed one who would be their anointed king a son of David. And so we see as Jesus arrives into Jerusalem uh, for Palm Sunday or for the Passover celebration, one of the Jewish feasts, that they are exalting him as, as their king. And so one of the first things we want to recognize here, um, like we talked about last week, you know, when, um, you know, when I look in my database of songs and type in king, you know, 90% of the songs are, are Christmas songs because we get that right at Christmas because we understand there's a newborn king. But then we forget about that for the rest of the time. <laughs> but here, we just highlight here, look at this. This is talking about Jesus as king. These are the people centered on Jesus' kingship here. And Jesus is not saying, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is receiving this. This is right praise for him as king. And so if you like to fill out blanks in an outline to help you uh, keep your head, head in the game, so to speak, and, and know uh, where we are, number one here, God proclaims to us here through this message in John that he inspired that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. <laughs> Uh, we see this in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. Now, uh, A here in your outline, you know, God's people at the time, the Jews, were rejoicing 
over the kingship of Jesus. We should see that. That's what's going on in Palm Sunday. They weren't thrilled about palms. Okay, although palms were part of their festivals. They had done this, Jim read uh, to us from Psalm 118, which is a, a psalm that we, um, uh, I, I preached through one uh, Palm Sunday and, and, and Easter Sunday when we were back in the, back in the dojo uh, a few years, few years ago. Psalm 118 is recounting the time when Jehoshaphat had been faced with three enemies, three nations that had come against Israel. And so he led the troops out. And like a faithful king, Jehoshaphat was one of the sons of David who was very faithful. He looked to the Lord and said, Lord, you need to rescue us here. And he looked to one of the Lord's prophets and, and to see what he should do. And then the Lord went out pleased with Jehoshaphat, the son of David's faith, and had the armies fight each other. And so there was like no fighting left to do. And so then Jehoshaphat and the armies come back into Jerusalem, and that's what Psalm 118 is about. Psalm 118, it's this, this uh, uh, symphony of, of praise, so to speak. And it has all these things that we see repeated here in Palm Sunday, where the king, the son of David, comes back into Jerusalem. Um and so this is very much a scene that's a recreation scene. A lot of times you see a truth in Scripture and it just happens over and over again until it happens, you know, this final time in Jesus. But God's people this time were rejoicing over the kingship of Jesus. And so they grabbed palms as they had done during Jehoshaphat's day. If you remember when Jim was reading, I know that was the first reading that he, he read there, that people had bows or bows in their hand, however you say that word, B-O-U-G-H, <laughs> in their hand. And they were waving this as Jehoshaphat and the army came back into, into Jerusalem after God had given them the victory um, over, over their enemies. Um, so, But the Jews, as they saw Jesus coming in, and as they had hoped that Jesus would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, the Christ, the anointed one, the king, as they had this as their hope, they were hoping that Jesus would be um, someone who would come and sit on David's throne. Perhaps he was even coming into Jerusalem, perhaps in their mind there, to come into the city permanently and take David's throne again in Jerusalem. Um, the Israelites had not had a king over them for 600 years, and uh, they thought, perhaps now is time. And so they proclaim this, Hosanna, which means save, blessed is who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what they had shouted to, to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had come into, back into Jerusalem in the name of the Lord. Um, uh, uh, blessed is the king of Israel, they say in verse 13. You see that? Uh, this is not ambiguous here. This is very clear. Blessed is the king of Israel. Uh, verse 15. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Their hopes had been, as they shouted these words, not realizing what they were really saying, that their words were more true than they realized, but what they did understand was they, they were hoping Jesus would be their king. But you see in verse 16 there, this interesting note that John sometimes says throughout his gospel, 
we didn't really understand what we were doing back then, he says. <laughs> but after Jesus was glorified and after he sent his spirit, we got what he was talking about or we understood what we were doing there. We were proclaiming the kingship of Jesus and we didn't really understand the full extent of how that was true back then. You see that in verse 16? At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. Psalm 118, uh, Zechariah 9.19, 1 Kings 1. These things had been written about him and that they, the disciples, had done these things to him without kind of realizing what they were doing. Um, so uh, here's, here are the different things we see about Jesus being a king. Um, first of all, verse 12, and it's B in your outline. Palm branches, palm branches were traditionally waved before conquering kings in the ancient world. That's probably why the Jews were doing this in Psalm 118 or 2 Chronicles 20 is the account of Jehoshaphat coming back into Jerusalem after conquering uh, the three nations that had uh, uh, coalesced to, to, come against, uh, to come against him. But palm branches were traditionally way before conquering kings coming back from battle. And so we see palm branches are used as Jesus comes in, indicating that he is, that he is the king. Um, Jehoshaphat was, uh, after he came in from the Moabites, Ammonites, and Meunites, um, got, got this reception. The king's reception was waved palm branches. This is what you do for a king who's coming in. Um, see, uh, the people, and this is verse 13, just working down the passage. The people named Jesus the king. They just say it. Okay, so they've got the symbolic thing going with palm branches proclaiming Jesus king with waving palm branches at him. But then they just proclaim it. They say, blessed is the king of Israel. This was kind of a dangerous thing to say because Herod was king of Israel. He wasn't a son of David. He was a Roman representative. He had some Jewish blood in him, but, but he was a, a, a chosen by Rome, not chosen by God, not anointed by a priest or a prophet like Jesus had been by John the Baptist, anointed by John the Baptist, God's prophet to be king. And so they, they proclaim, blessed is the king of Israel. They're on the verge of revolution here um, as Israel was uh, dominated and controlled and governed by, by Rome at the time. Um, D, uh, working down the passage, verse 14, Jesus is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Every time I say that, I think of, Shrek, donkey. <laughs> Jesus is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, which is what David, that's your next blank, which is what David did to Solomon when he wanted there to be absolutely no question in mind who was the chosen son of David who would reign after him, who would take his place on the throne. So we read in 1 Kings chapter 1, Adonijah, when his father's ailing and, and an invalid and uh, can hardly get out of bed and can't even stay warm, uh, Adonijah uses the opportunity of David's weakness and proclaims himself to be king. Even though we find out in the passage that David knew that Solomon was God's choice 
Of all his sons, Solomon was his choice to be king next. And he had told Bathsheba this, and, and his, pro, you know, the, uh, uh, his prophet and the high priest knew this as well, that Solomon was the one who would be king after David. And so Adonijah proclaims himself king, and he gathers everyone around him except the good guys. <laughs> and he has a secret meeting down away from Jerusalem so that he can be proclaimed king um and, and uh there you go gee why didn't <laughs> solomon huh why didn't you invite me <laughs> you the high priest why didn't you invite me you know all, all the important people all the the chief people in the kingdom aren't invited because they're faithful they won't go along with the the devious plan of adonijah uh, and so uh david doesn't know this is going on uh, and so Bathsheba and Nathan, you know, they come up and they, they say, you know, David, is it, you know, your desire have you, that Adonijah would be king? Have you changed your plan and you just didn't tell us? And then David says, oh, no, Solomon shall be king. Call Bathsheba in. Bathsheba was Solomon's um, mother. And so he assures Bathsheba, whose life was in danger if Adonijah was king, that she would be wiped out because she was the mother of Solomon, who really should be king. So he assures, uh, he assures Bathsheba that her son will be king. And then David arranges, okay, here's what you do. And he says, go down to the Gihon Spring, which was um, basically the Garden of Gethsemane. That's, that's where the Gihon Spring is. It's on the east side of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill. So if you're looking north-south, um, if you are, sorry, I got to do this your, your way. There we go. So, uh, so we're we're in the south. We're looking north, and Jerusalem's like on top of this hill. And down here is is the uh, Kidron Valley and the Gihon Spring and the sea, uh, the um, Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, and then there's a mountain here, and it's the Mount of Olives. Okay, so Jesus stays stays here. Bethany and and Bethel are over here, or I'm uh, sorry, Bethany's over here. Jesus stays there at night, but he's here in the Garden of Gethsemane. But uh, David, David has, David's here in Jerusalem, and he has Solomon get on his own mule, and he has Solomon anointed as king, and Solomon ride up the hill into Jerusalem, and all the people proclaim him king, and say, long live King Solomon. And so as Jesus does this, he's done the same thing. He gets on a donkey down there in the Kidron Valley, right where Solomon did, and he rides up the hill and he rides into Jerusalem through the gate. And this Psalm 24 speaks about this as well. And we sang Psalm 24 this morning. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Is Psalm 24. And so, so Solomon comes in. Jesus comes in. The new Solomon. The new son of David. Okay, so see all this king stuff coming in. So it makes sense. People recognize the scene. This is a stock scene. The king shows who the heir to the throne is by placing the son, the chosen son, the anointed one, on his own donkey and having him ride up into the city and take his throne. And so Jesus comes in, and so we see this scene. Jesus is riding on a donkey in Jerusalem, which is what David does with Solomon to reveal him as the chosen son of David. Here's your blank king there, if you didn't get that one already to show him as the, the chosen son of David king. So another another way we see, if we didn't get it before, 
<laughs> we get yet another way that Jesus is being proclaimed king here. And then E, um, verse 15. Uh, John quotes to us Zechariah 9, verse 9. Um, Zechariah was a prophet after the exile. He, was, he and Haggai were the two prophets uh, present. Uh, Malachi comes just a little bit later. So those three guys are after the exile, when God's people have returned from Babylon back to Israel. Zechariah is one of the prophets that uh, encourages the people to complete the temple construction. And so Zechariah comes in and he, along with Haggai, tell the people, hey, you got the foundation built, but you need to build the rest of the thing. And so God's people build the rest of the temple from 520 B.C. to 516, 515 B.C., and the temple's rebuilt. And that's the temple that Jesus walks in and out of um, during, during this time. But Zechariah had also reassured God's people what all the other prophets had reassured the people before they went into exile in Babylon. That is, one, they would return. Two, the temple would be rebuilt. But then three, Zechariah repeats this that the other prophets, Isaiah and Hosea and Ezekiel, uh, uh, talk about, that the son of David will rise again and be king over all Israel. And after the exile, he'll be king over all 12 tribes, over all Israel. And they will all have one shepherd, one son of David over them. And so Zechariah talked about this, that this is still in play, that we as Jews should still expect that the son of David will rise again and will be ruled over by a son of David as king. And so now this hasn't happened for all these years. The temple's re reconstructed by 515 B.C. And now we're at, at, you know, zero or 30 or 27, whenever it is that Jesus is uh, crucified. That's our choice, 27 or 30, based on the way the days the days work there. Um, and, and the people, uh, and John uh, quotes here, Zechariah 9, 9, um, which told of a new king, that's your blank, a new king for God's people, a new son of David coming on a donkey. Here's what Zechariah had said. See, your king is coming. He was assuring people at around 500 BC, your king is coming, um, seated on a donkey's colt. Okay, so the people hearing Zechariah in 500 BC, they knew that the Solomon reference, okay, this makes sense. A new Solomon, a new son of David is going to come and reign over us. Uh, but also now forward, we see with Jesus, these people knew this as well. They were expecting, Zechariah told them that they should expect a son of David to reign over them as king. So, king, 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 king. That's point number one. Jesus is king five times over, and John shows us that way with B, C, D, and E. Uh, verses 12, 13, 14, 15. Each of those verses has something that's telling us that Jesus is king. Okay, number two, number two. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day wanted Jesus to be a king. Verse 13, they say, blessed be the king of Israel. Uh, they wanted Jesus to be a king exactly like, exactly like the Old Testament son of David. So they wanted to be him a king exactly like the Old Testament son of David. Uh, one who would, um, A, uh, this is what they were expecting, take David's throne, 
take David's throne in geographical Jerusalem. So they were expecting reasonable expectation. They were expecting a son of David to rise up and, you know, Jesus had been called son of David as he ministered, you know, around all Israel. But, but he comes and they expected a son of David to come and take the throne in geographical Jerusalem, uh, that he would be king of Israel from there. Um, and then B, they also expected that the king would save them. Now, we've talked about this before, that savior is not the primary um, description of Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Savior, we have about 22 times in the New Testament of Jesus. Uh, king and the one who has the kingdom is about 122 times, maybe 142, depending on how you count it. Uh, and so king is the super category of who Jesus is. One of the functions of the king in the Old Testament was that he saved his people. Like Hezekiah. When there were armies coming against us, it was the king who led the troops out and saved the people. It was David, the king, anointed in 1 Samuel 16 by Samuel, who goes out in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, and fights the battle against Goliath. He saves the people. That's what the king does. The king saves the people as one of his functions. As one of his functions. And so in Psalm 118... What the people say is to Hezekiah is that you've saved us. In this passage, we see here um, that uh, uh, verse 13, the people shout, Hosanna. And I think all of you have in your footnotes there, it shows you that that word means save. This was the expectation of the Jewish people during Jesus' day on Palm Sunday that Jesus would take the throne in Jerusalem, geographical Jerusalem, and save them from the Romans. Save them from Roman taxation. Save them from the Roman military. Make them a free and independent nation. And so they, they shout, Hosanna, save us. Just like the people had shouted when Jehoshaphat had come back into, uh, into uh, Jerusalem. Um, in his day. So B, they expected uh, Jesus to save them by militarily. That's your next blank there. Militarily kicking out to save them by militarily kicking out the Romans from Israel. And our little next line there, notice, Bob, there's not a one or a two there. So it's just independent. Bob and I were talking about this. Hosanna means save. Oh, and I were talking about this next, uh, about uh, the proper way of outlining. When you don't have a B point, you don't have an A point, you just put a second line there. So there we go. <laughs> you outline fans are smiling. I see you out there. <laughs> but Hosanna means save. Um, and so, um, but we know that Jesus didn't come to be this kind of king. Just simply an Old Testament David. That is, just like the temple showed lots of truths, but it was limited. Your sacrifices in the temple weren't sacrifices that covered all your sins for all your life. But Jesus' once for all sacrifice is. One sacrifice for all your sins for all your life. So the temple shows us something. The writer of Hebrews calls it a shadow, but calls the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus the reality. 
What, so the reality is here, and that's the actual physical thing. If you have a light over here, you know, you, you could see that this is a hand. If I put my hand sideways, then you could see over here, if there were a wall here, you could see the shadow of a hand with five fingers. If this were the wall here, and you could see this shadow and say, ah, I perceive that there's a hand somewhere over here. Yep, there it is. Okay, and so that's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The Old Testament is like looking at that wall and seeing the shadow, and I don't know whether that's a black person or a Native American person or a white person or an Asian person because it's a shadow, but I know it's a hand. But then when I look at the hand, I can see more detail. I can see exactly what size the hand is, you know, what color the skin is on the front and the back, all how old the hand is. Um, and so, yeah, I'm getting old. I'm looking at my skin. I'm like, man, that's like old person hands there. <laughs> but this is the reality here. And this is just a shadow, a fuzzy picture. Okay? So that was true of the sacrifices, but it's true of the kingship as well. David, in his pinnacle uh, uh, epitome of a king in the Old Testament, he's just a shadow. He's not, he's not all that a king should be. And he's not perfect in his kingship. Uh, but, but, but Jesus is. And so Jesus doesn't come just to, just to be on a throne in Jerusalem. Just in, over one country. Over one geographical area. Uh, area over one group of people. Basically one race and tack-ons. Ruth and... <laughs> you know, Rahab and, you know, some tack-ons. People have come and become Israelites by religious conversion. But but Jesus doesn't come just for that. Um, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't come um, just to uh, save people from a political system like Rome or to save people from a, a physical army. David did that, and that was saving the people. Jehoshaphat did that, and that was saving the people. But Jesus comes for something much greater, something much, something much bigger. That is number three. Number three, Jesus came to be a different kind. Those are your blanks there. A different kind of king. Now he's in the vein. He's a, you know the the shadow, the things we learn from the kings of the sons of David in the Old Testament, those become true of Jesus in magnified fashion. But Jesus is not just what David was, king over 12 tribes, king over just those who were descended from Jacob, from Israel. Jesus comes to be much more uh, a king that's a different kind of king, an expanded David. So A, the throne Jesus came to take, the throne Jesus came to take was not David's earthly throne in Jerusalem. He's not interested. And so Jesus doesn't talk politically. And he's not concerned about how what he says affects him politically. So he's not uh, uh, bowing down to the Pharisees who held the, the political power among the Jews. He's not bowing down to Herod or to Pilate. He's saying the things that will get him crucified because his eyes are on another throne, not the throne in Jerusalem. And probably um, what gets Jesus crucified, just practically speaking, is in this last week, 
he makes it abundantly clear he's not there to take a throne in Jerusalem. And so, because they expected the anointed king to take the throne in geographical Jerusalem, they say, well, he's not the guy. And they go on from there, and they reject him as their king, because they wanted a king on the physical throne in, in Jerusalem. So they reject him, and sure, put him on a cross. It's no good to us. If he's not going to take the throne in Jerusalem and kick the Romans out, no good to us. Put him on a, put him on a cross. So the throne Jesus came to take was not David's earthly throne in Jerusalem, but the throne, but his throne over, over the whole world in heaven. Okay, Jesus came to take his heavenly throne at the right hand of God. So uh, Hebrews 1.3, Jim read it for us. After he had made purification for sins, after he died on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. That's the throne he came to take. And so if people kill him on earth, that's just a vehicle for him to get to the throne he intended to get to. Because he was not going to be just a king over geographical Israel. He was going to be a king over the whole world, whoever would take him as their king. Whether they lived in Ukraine or Zimbabwe or, or Canada or Japan or Australia. See, he can reign as king over all who are citizens of heaven through faith in him from his heavenly throne. But the Jerusalem throne, the geographical throne, is much too small, much too, much too limited. Um, so Revelation 5, we see the scene where it's, it's the scene of heaven before Jesus is ascended. And those dead saints who are there are, are, are worried because the book of life, which contains the names of all who won't be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity, is sealed with seven seals. And if your name is within that and no one is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, your name can't be read. And so there's great stress in the first three verses of Revelation 5. And they say, who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? And John, seeing this scene, starts to get worried. And he's told, worry, worry not. Look, a lamb, as if, have, as if one who has been slain is coming. And he sees Jesus. And Jesus is declared worthy to take the scroll and to open his seals. That's Revelation 5. And then he starts opening them. Chapter 6. Opening the seals of the scroll. And then when he gets that seventh seal, you know what that seventh seal is? That's final battle and final judgment. And, and so then all the seven seals, the, the, the book of life, all the names of those who are written on the Lamb's book of life, you know, are, 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 are it's open now. And, and it's seventh seal, you know, read it in, in Revelation 6 and then Revelation 8, 1. Uh, the seventh seal is opened and Jesus can read the names that are written on the book of life that the father has written, but that he had to die and spill his blood to buy. So Jesus arrives in heaven and he's bought, he's worthy to take the scroll because he's bought it with his blood. With his blood, he bought all the names, but all the people whose names are on that, elected by the father before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. And so he takes that scroll and right now our era is all these things, those six seals, right? 
this is all bonus material for you. Okay, <laughs> you know, wars and wars and rumors of wars and and pestilence and and poverty and, and hatred between men and all these things going on. But then when that seven seals open, whoop, that that scroll gets opened up, and final judgment happens, and he reads those names. Uh, Revelation 20, that great scene of, of the, the great white throne that Jesus is on. It says in verse 5, and, and anyone whose name was not written on the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so, yeah, heaven, yeah, before Jesus is ascended, a little bit worried. What if my name is, you know, I'm here in heaven, so I know my name's in there. But at final judgment, I need my name to be found on the book of life. And so I need somebody worthy to take that scroll and open the seals. And so Revelation 5 is this, that Jesus rises up into heaven and he takes the scroll and he sits down at God's right hand, his throne. So the throne Jesus came to take was not David's earthly throne in Jerusalem, but uh, his throne over the whole world, his throne that's in heaven. Now B, B, the battle Jesus came to win the conquering he came to do was not over the Romans, but over our true enemies, our more significant enemies, Satan, death, and hell. Those are our enemies. Those are the things a human being should fear, Satan, death, and hell. So Colossians 2.15, it says of Jesus, he disarmed the powers and authorities, Satan, and he made a public spectacle of him triumphing over him by the cross. Okay, so Jesus triumphs over Satan at the cross. Um, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children, us, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus too, shared in our humanity that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. So Jesus destroys Satan, our enemy. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And then this statement from Re Revelation 118, Jesus says, I am the living one. That is the one who's defeated death. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. No longer does Satan have the power of death. I've ripped the keys from him. I hold the keys. And so Jesus comes not to fight the Romans. <laughs> That's what we need. Imagine that, you know, today, if we heard that was the good news that Jesus defeated the Romans back 2,000 years ago, we'd say, so what? How does that affect me? We needed him to defeat Satan and death and hell. And so he, he does that for us. So what's the result of this? That Jesus, this great king, comes to be a different kind of king um, who has this heavenly throne and defeats Satan, death, and hell for us. Number four, trust in the great king. Trust in the great king, Jesus. Few things, three things, why it's uh, uh, so important and a joyful thing for us, like these people with the palm branches. It's a joyful thing for us to trust in Jesus and why that makes sense and why that's a smart thing for a person to do if he has eyes that are open. So we trust in Jesus because A, with Jesus as your king, you need not fear. With Jesus as your king, you need not fear. Um, 
John writes, last think back to the last three sermons in the book of John, John writes to Jewish people who had become Christians. And he writes to them in about A.D. 90. And the Christians had been called out by the Jewish nation to the Romans. Uh, you see, the Jews had this special status in Rome. They were considered a licensed religion. And that meant they could worship as they pleased. And when uh, the emperor, at the time Domitian, um, said, uh, everyone in my kingdom needs to acknowledge me as God and to give me worship, which Domitian was doing, the Roman emperor was doing in AD 90. The Jews were exempt because they were part of a licensed religion. But now, the late 80s and into, the, into about 90, the Jews had gone to the Roman government and said, these Christians, they are not part of us. They are not a denomination of Jewishness. And so now Christians were losing their lives, physically losing their lives by the Roman government because they would not bow their knee and declare Domitian divine. They would not declare him divine and give him worship. This was a thing of fear. But we hear from John here that they didn't have to fear. John writes this to them so they didn't have to, so they didn't have to fear. Verse 15, look there. He quotes to them. He quotes to them uh, from Zechariah. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. That means Jerusalem. See, your king is coming. I just think about that little nuance there. If you're a Jewish Christian, Christian person, Jewish background in, in AD 90, your king is coming. That means if I lose my life to the lions in the Roman Colosseum, my king is coming for me. I'll be okay. Because even though the world and the Jews have rejected him, he rose. He's king. He's reigning. He's at the right hand of God, and he will come for me. This is true for us. If we would lose our lives or whatever would happen for us, for our faith, our king is coming. He is at the right hand of God. And in the end, he will sort all things out. He will not abandon us. He is our king who hosannas us. He saves us. That's his job. The job of the Davidic king. Save your people. Save all those who are citizens of heaven. So number one, you need not fear in life. Because Jesus is ruling now over the earth. You need not fear in life because Jesus is ruling now over the earth. Right? Hebrews 1.3 After he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's ruling now. Revelation 5, we saw it in John's vision. Jesus, when he ascended, he took his place at the right hand of the Father. So you need not fear now in life because Jesus is ruling now over the earth protecting you, that's your blank, protecting you. That's what the son of David does. If invading armies come into Israel, the son of David, like Jehoshaphat, gets the armies and they go out and fight so that you can, you know, say it if you're a mom and you got a two-year-old, you can sit in your house and not have to worry about the, the Ammonites coming and burning your house down with you in it. Okay. So you don't have to worry because Jesus is on his throne protecting you 
uh, we, if you look there and you're confessing our faith, you know, one of Jesus' roles, one of the roles of Jesus as king is that he protects us. He protects and defends us who are citizens of his kingdom. Um, so Ephesians 1.22 says, And God the Father placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Jesus is ruling now over everything for the church. And this is how uh, Romans 8.28 is true. All things work together for the good of those he called according to his purpose. You've been called to the gospel. You've been called to Jesus. You've been drawn to him by the spirit of God. And you came to Jesus in, in faith. And that means all things are working together for your good. This is Jesus on his throne at the right hand of the father protecting you in life. This means when bad things happen to you, when you get a bad uh, medical diagnosis or uh, you lose your job or a child dies or your mother or father die or whatever it is, God is working. We have this assurance. Jesus is still on his throne. That's one of the big points of the book of Revelation is they're suffering under Domitian, the Roman emperor. Jesus is still on his throne and he's still protecting his people. And that's true for us today. He's protecting us. He's at the Father's right hand. He sees everything. He's protecting us. He is over, Ephesians 1.22, over all rule and authority. And that's, that's reference to not only earthly rule and authority, but Satan and his demons. We are a protected people. And sometimes he sanctifies us through suffering. But it's under his protection, under his protection. So, so we need not fear in life. Anything that's going to happen to you, anything that has happened to you is under God's sovereignty out of his love for you, even when those things are really hard. It's not saying those things aren't hard. It's not saying those things aren't difficult. Uh, it's not saying those things aren't painful. Many of those things are, but it's under God's uh, great sovereignty for you. He wasn't, uh, when bad things happened to you, it wasn't because Jesus took a nap. And it's like, oh, crud that happened hope he doesn't find out um, but number two number two you need not fear either in death you need not fear in death and, and so you know jesus has conquered death colossians 2 14 and 15 uh we and, and hebrews 2 14 and 15 which I, I just quoted there jesus crushed death he holds the power of death uh for us and so we no longer need to fear it Hebrews 2.15, like everybody else in the world fears death, thinking that death is the worst possible thing that could happen to them. And we as Christians, with renewed minds from this book, say, no, death is the greatest thing that could happen to me. Because then I get to see Jesus face to face. Then all my needs get to be met. Then I don't get to have to be persecuted anymore. Then I don't get sick anymore whether it's heaven before he comes back or whether whether it's being with him in the new heavens and the new earth. So we don't need to fear death. Um, second thing, B, uh, why we trust in Jesus as our king. Because with Jesus as our king, we can have peace. With Jesus as your king, you can have peace. So it's a good thing, and what John is showing us here is that it's a good thing for Jesus to be your king because you need not fear. And then the flip side of this coin is that we can have we can have peace. So number one there, be one. 
Uh, but we all uh, see another clue uh, uh, it, here that Jesus was the bringer of peace. It's the donkey. And so the donkey, that's your blank there. Again, donkey. Uh, the, the donkey in the world back then was a symbol of peace. Uh, let me explain this to you. If you were a warrior, you weren't riding a donkey. You rode a donkey in a time of peace. Right? It's like if you've ever seen Jerry Seinfeld's bit about ponies. What are ponies good for? He said, you never see a, a police officer on a pony in crowd control. Hey, stop that. <laughs> Kings rode donkeys to show that we are at peace. I'm not on a war horse coming back from war. We're not in the midst of a war and, and battle. And so Jesus comes in and this is a symbol of peace, like a dove. The donkey was a symbol of peace. It was a time where you could ride on a donkey or a pony and be okay because you weren't uh, being attacked and you weren't having to defend. You weren't having to defend yourself. Um, Solomon, by the name, the son of David, that name Solomon means peace. It's just a version of shalom. It's that S-H-L-M, you know, Solomon there. Um, and so uh, uh, Solomon is this peace bringer and that's, you know, Solomon rides in and he's on this, uh, uh, mule of David's because Solomon was this great king of peace, which we saw in Psalm 72 last week as well. Okay, and so Jesus is this uh, king of peace, or shall we say prince? Right, we know he's the prince of peace. And what would the prince of peace ride but, but a donkey? Um, he's the new and final son of David, um, riding on a donkey, uh, seated on a donkey's Colt, as we see here in verse uh, 15. So David uh, would rise again, as Zechariah said, and the people would know that David was risen again as their king, a son of David, when they would see him coming into Jerusalem, riding on a colt. And here it is, um, number two. Uh, with Jesus as uh, your king, you can have peace in life. Uh, Jesus says, yeah, in the world you have tribulation, but in me you have peace. Peace, John 16, 32. Or you know from, from Galatians 5, 22, that the spirit that Jesus has sent produces in you the fruit of love, joy, and peace. Um, so you have peace in life because Jesus is your king. If he's not your king, you don't have peace in life. You're nervous. You don't know what to do because you don't have his law. You don't have his protection. You don't have assurance that things will be okay for you, that all things will work together for your good. So there's no, no peace. But also number three there with Jesus as your king, you can have peace in death. And this is our declaration of the gospel this morning. You can see it there on the front of your bulletins. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, got into that justification box there through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want Jesus as our king because he's the one who gives us peace. The Old Testament kings had symbolized this. They had been a shadow of that. If they had a faithful son of David, they lived in an era of peace. And if anyone came to attack them, the troops of David or his son went out and God gave them success. And so I could live in my home in Zebulun or Ephraim or Asher, wherever it was, 
in peace because the son of David was faithful and he was providing me peace by his righteousness. And then C, third thing, why we trust Jesus as our king, why this is a smart thing and why we rejoice over this with palms waving at him and, and shouting his praise. Uh, C, with Jesus as your king, you can have victory. Um, Psalm 118, 27, palm branches were the reception that uh, Jehoshaphat had gotten after his victory uh, in Second Chronicles 20. Um, implied in their uh, shouts of praise was their joy over the fact that Jesus' conquering king was going to bring them peace. Now, the Jews who were shouting this, and even the disciples who were shouting along with them, didn't understand how the peace would come. They were thinking, Jerusalem throne, Romans kicked out. It was only later, in verse 16, that they understood that he was not coming back from victory, he was actually coming into his battle, <laughs> his battle to face death and to overcome it. So with Jesus as your king, uh, number one there, C1, with Jesus as your king, you can have victory in life. Uh, Jesus said in John 5, 24, he had said this, okay, it's John chapter 5, so before Palm Sunday. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Um, so in life, what happens, Jesus is saying, if you hear me, that means God has turned the lights on in you. He has regenerated you and you have spiritual life. And you now, by the spirit of God, have the ability to walk in God's ways instead of the law just being a thing of frustration for you. The law is a guide to your life, like we talk about the, the third use of the law. Uh, and the, the law shows us, yeah, I shouldn't uh, you know, cross the street when it's busy without looking both ways. <laughs> We're grateful uh, for the law, but we've been given the Spirit of God. Um, Colossians 2.13 puts it this way. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, but God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. So we have victory over our spiritual death now as Christians. We were spiritually dead and Christ our King gave us victory by his spirit, by granting us his spirit. He gave us victory over our spiritual death so that we are now spiritually alive. Listen again, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, but now God made you alive with Christ. You have victory over death already. One of the things we'll see in the Gospel of John as we go through it is that eternal life is talked about both as a present reality for us. That is, we have spiritual life that goes on into eternity. But also eternal life sometimes is talking about what happens to us after death, that we, we live on after this. But now we possess this life that will not be killed, not be put to death. We have victory over this second death. Um, Romans 8, 13, Paul speaks of the same kind of thing. He says, by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. So that's the reality for us as Christians. Because we have God's spirit, we put to death 
the misdeeds of the body. That means a temptation comes to us and we pull out our sword and say, boom, no, <laughs> I'm not doing it. Die, temptation, we say. What's, uh, um, what's that in Princess Bride? Um, uh, I am, I am, uh, my name is, you killed my father, prepare to die. Yes. <laughs> You're a temptation. You're outside God's will for me. Prepare to die. Yeah, that's what we do with temptation. We've been given life. We've been given his spirit and we are putting to death Romans eight thirteen, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. And so just a few verses later in verse 37 of chapter uh, Romans 8, verse 37, Paul writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Jesus, our king, makes us more than conquerors. He makes us people who are putting to death the sins we used to do. And we'll never be perfect in that, but we'll see this progress in our life where we're, we're able to put to death things that we were doing habitually in our lives, regularly in our lives, or occasionally in our lives, that we begin to extinguish those behaviors in our lives because we're more than conquerors through Jesus, who has given us his spirit by which we put to death those misdeeds. So in life, we have victory. Secondly, number two, guess what? With Jesus as your king, you can have victory in death. With Jesus as your king, you can have victory in death. Again, right, right before going into Jerusalem for Palm Sunday, chapter 11, we're in chapter 12, but in chapter 11, chapter 11 is the Lazarus raising, being raised from the tomb chapter. And Jesus says there, 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, that's us, will live even though he dies. So we have victory in death. We will die unless Jesus comes back. But Jesus says, even if we die, we will live. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So with Jesus as your king, you can have victory in death. So here's your summary. Here's your summary. Palm Sunday was about Jesus being king. Now, the Jews in Jesus' day, as they proclaimed Jesus king, even his disciples, as they proclaimed him being king, they didn't have it defined quite right. They were still thinking shadow king, Old Testament kind of king. But in fact, we find out verse 16, it meant much more. And that's what John indicates here. And so John uses his gospel to show greater ways in which Jesus is king. Um, so God's people didn't understand that. The Jews didn't understand that at the time. Yet the church after Pentecost saw this and they understood this. So the message for us is this, your next line there in your summary. Uh, you should trust Jesus as your king. That is, we rightly shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Paul calls the church Israel. Uh, you should trust in Jesus as your king for your life and your death. Trust him as your king in your life. Trust him as your king as you approach death. For in both, in life and death, he means for you the sum total, what he, 
what, uh, what the, um, what's the cash in value of Jesus? Is peace, that's your first blank, peace in life, peace in death, victory. Victory over sin in life, victory over death in death. And then thirdly, freedom from fear in life because Jesus is on his throne protecting you and freedom from fear and death because your death is just your venue or just your avenue into life forevermore. Jesus is a good king and he makes David look small. And that's good news. Let's pray.